Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. This could be the most polarizing episode we've ever recorded. We're talking about branding and how it impacts talent acquisition for organizations. Why talent acquisition should live outside of HR. How applicant tracking systems can create horrible brand experiences for the employers. And stick around for the post-pod debrief at the end with V and Mark. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the show today. Today is a fantastic guest, Shelley Billinghurst. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to give you a bit of an intro in a second here, but it feels like we've been talking forever and we're old friends. Um, But you're the president of Higher Value Inc., um, Mm -hmm. which is a recruitment firm. Is that the right way to say it? Or how would you say it? Uh, I fit into the category of marketing and advertising agency. Okay. And so Higher Value um, is higher spelled H-I-R-E, as in you got the job. Um, It is recruitment focused marketing and advertising okay so yes there's such a thing okay i love it so part of how we got into this was so v and i for full transparency v and i are officially we've been looking for work for a few months uh Mm -hmm. we've gone through the whole rigmarole of this recruitment process and it's been a fascinating journey to say the least Mm -hmm. then somehow we stumbled across you and Super excited to have you on the show because there's so much to talk about. There's so much in the space of talent that we just don't know about. It occurred mm-hmm. to us that there's this whole world that we've never even discussed of of employer brands and and personal branding and then talent recruitment and the war for talent. And there's like the list goes on and on. Talent acquisition versus recruitment. So we just thought this is amazing to have you as an expert. You're also a co-host of the recruitment flex podcast mm-hmm. kindred spirit on the podcast front yes sir and it's a great podcast for anybody who wants to check it out um it's great your co-host Serge is is um your partner in the crime on that one mm-hmm. um and you've also you know through that and through your work have become a thought leader in the recruitment space so for us it's just such a pleasure to have you here we're really excited to talk to you about all things related to recruitment we we do have some script we're going to try and stick to it. Fair enough. Well, that was one hell of an intro. Mark, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. It's, uh, you know, it. there's so much kindred spirit between marketing, brand, and talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always said that, you know, my, um, my brothers and sisters are in marketing yeah. and in sales. Hmm. Um, and so... It made complete sense to me uh, when you reached out to me because it's th- there's so many parallels and so many similarities um, to what marketing does for products and for organizations. Yeah. And how does that apply in talent acquisition? I'll tell you, most recruiters still kind of go, what's employer brand? Yeah. Yet they live it, eat and breathe it all day long. Yeah. Kind of like the way salespeople will sometimes say, well... Um, you know, that's marketing's job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. But, Never heard that before. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're, we're kind of related. Yeah. 
We're well, very and, related. Yeah. And, and so much, even like, even on the strategy side, like mm-hmm. we've had Roger Martin on a couple of times and really like his strategic cascade at the bottom end of the cascade, there are a couple of things that people often forget. One is core capabilities and one is management systems. And so people fit squarely in my mind into those spaces. It's not just about picking your target segment and going after it. You still need the people to do some of those things. And so, um, yeah, there's just so much overlap that I think is going to be create a great conversation uh, for today. So thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on. So let me, I'm just going to start super high level so we can just level set on this. Can you just give me an idea of your version of what talent recruitment is and, and how it differs from HR? Sure. So um, I'm going to back up just one more step because sure. we talk about this um, winning the war for talent, uh, which is a, a, a phrase that was coined back in 1997. So V, for your purposes, that's when you were in grade six. Um, <laughs> where were you actually, in 97? I was, nice, I was graduating high school, well, actually. Okay, so you're in grade five. So close. Okay, well, you just you just look so young. Um, thank, thank you. So there, there was always this prediction that the aging workforce was going to, um, and low birth rate, was going to create this perfect storm uh, where hmm. organizations, there would be a war for the talent. And so making that distinction, it's, it's never been about not being able to find people mm-hmm. because there's people everywhere. There's, you can walk to the grocery store and there's people everywhere. There's no shortage of people, but there is a, now we are now living what was predicted back in the nineties to be this shortage of talent. That means people with mm. the right skills and experience to fulfill what the labor market needs right now. That's what we're experiencing right now. So the newer phrase that came out of like, say in about 2022, we call it the race for talent because he who gets to the job seeker first wins. Mm -hmm. That means if, if someone applied to you and you are the first Because job seekers no longer just apply to one job and then patiently sit and wait for a response. They apply to multiple jobs. And so if I'm competing for that very specific talent um, and I call you first and I engage you and I talk to you about why this opportunity is potential match for your great, your next great career move, uh, then I win. Because most job seekers will take the first offer. So that's why we call it a race for talent. So this like is, that, yeah. I'm speaking from the recruiter's side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that, is, that is why we call it a race for talent. Because we saw this war coming since the 90s. So, so your question was the difference between talent acquisition and human resources. So um, if you've ever met someone in HR... Um, most of those people will tell you that they um, don't like people. <laughs> well, um, and if you're in human resources, you see the underbelly of yeah. employees. Everything from you know an employee who is caught 
lifting out and putting into the back trunk of their car uh, computer equipment and they're caught on video surveillance, yet they look you straight in the eye and tell you, well, I didn't think we needed it anymore. Right. And they're surprised that they're charged with theft. Well, guess who has to do all of that investigation and you need to know the law and, you know, where's our evidence? Mm -hmm. That's HR's job. HR's job is also to keep managers out of prison Mm -hmm. from doing stupid shit and saying stupid things (laughs) and treating employees like second class human beings and discriminating Mm -hmm. against them. So HR when we think of what it is they do is they protect the organization. Hmm. Now imagine um, trying to take someone who's built that way to be suspicious of people, to, to be able to do investigations, to do labor relations, to um, you know, having to deal with just the bad mistakes that people make. Um, and is that the same skill set as someone who needs to do a great job convincing a job seeker that you should come work for my company and not the other four companies you apply to. Right. Those are two very different skill sets. In fact, they're polar opposites. Somebody who's really good at being skeptical of people is not going to be the type of potential, seeing the potential in people. That's what a mm-hmm. recruiter does. And, there is a huge discussion going on in the, in, in call it in, you know, amongst my, my people in recruitment that, that we should not be part of HR. We would do better if we reported into marketing than, or if we reported directly to the, the senior executive. It's interesting that you say that because I know there are a couple VP CMO of marketing who have HR under their purview or or their responsibility set. Well, I can see them having recruitment, but not HR. Well, sorry. Yeah. H recruitment. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So those are the companies I want to work for. Interesting. They're that forward thinking. So why... (laughs) Okay, this is this is great way. This is a great jumping off point because you know the first thing that comes to my mind is why is it at times that those two terms are somewhat used interchangeably? So between HR or it's just the HR becomes that blanket that everything else falls under, things like talent recruitment, etc. But it just feels like um, we get you know if you just talk to someone that maybe isn't com- like knows the space very well, you would say talent recruitment. They say, oh, HR. Yeah. Why do you feel like there is that that looming HR presence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So HR, like the 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 whole purpose and function outside of, you know, keeping everybody on the straight and narrow and making sure we don't discriminate and make sure we don't break the law. Um they are by their very existence a cost center. Right? Mm-hmm. Their um their reward system programmed into the brain from the time they graduate, whatever class they took to be in HR, um, their reward system is geared on saving money. And HR's job is not to spend money, but find ways to save money. Versus mm-hmm. um, recruitment's job is really to uh, find ways to sell and market the company as a potential place to work. So those two things are polar opposites. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And human is in the title of human resources. Um, and so if there's one way to measure the result and the effectiveness, it would be recruitment because recruitment is extremely measurable. And in HR, if you ask an HR person to measure their effectiveness outside of ways they've saved the company money, um, mm -hmm. they would be really hard pressed to tell you any metrics or measures or improvements because it's not the nature of what they do. They, they are an right. overhead expense. Um, and so there's really, there's a, I think there's a failure to recognize that um, they are two very different departments. It's like, it's like why sales and marketing falls under the same. I, I, I know there's a trend right now for chief revenue officer where yeah. both marketing and sales report under. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think it's the same same thing that's happened. Like rather than having a chief marketing officer and a chief revenue officer, they're trying to blend them all and get a two for one. I think it's right. the same thing. It's a two for one deal. Yeah. But yeah. It doesn't really work that well. No. On the flips. Well, not on the flip side, just as an extension of that thought though, you've got HR that's typically in my experience been accountable for culture quote unquote, like whatever that might mean. So um, there's some component of their role that is in, intended to be like measuring employee engagement or NPS or what, employee NPS or some, some form of that to get a pulse on how well the culture is performing or, or how, or growing, adapting, evolving, that kind of thing. And so on one hand, you have this HR group that's accountable for protection, but then engagement. And then it's the recruiter who's trying to sell the culture to the potential candidates. But they're not necessarily, from what you're saying, they're not necessarily aligned on what they're selling from the recruitment perspective. Isn't necessarily, the recruiter isn't influencing potentially the cultural building components. So it seems to me like there may be a disconnect there. Is that fair? Absolutely. And I think, um, if I may, yeah. my opinion mm -hmm. on may. engagement surveys, <laughs> yeah, waste of time. Really? Absolute okay. waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Most organizations do nothing with them. Yeah. Nothing. They don't really want to change. Culture is... You know, interesting, I don't know about your past experience, but when companies talk about culture, um, it can have several different personalities inside one company. Sure. Like when you think about the culture inside your marketing department, do you think it's the same culture that exists in accounting, but yet you work for the same company? Yeah. So um, it's, it's really a lot of baloney that HR has anything to do with culture. They don't. Culture is how we treat each other. It's how we're taught to treat one another within a professional working situation. That's culture, mm -hmm. right? So if I'm a recruiter and say, you know, I'm uh, Sam recruiting for your team, Mark, and, and I want to know how you treat each other in your department when things go terribly wrong, how do you speak to each other? 
What's the absolute biggest disaster you've ever had happen? Right? That's what I want to be able to tell a candidate. That's what I want to be able to advertise in my job ad. I want to Mm -hmm. talk about what it's like to really work inside your department, even though it's part of this bigger culture. You know, I think, and, and I may be cynical here, but I think HR makes shit up sometimes just, just, just to keep their jobs because, you know, so, you know, yes, you do need compliance and you need, um, you need to try and help leaders be better leaders and help them coach people who make crappy mistakes. Um, but what else do they really do? Like then there's payroll, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. people need to get paid, but that's more of a finance function, but yet that also fits under HR somehow. I think, um, I think, the whole org structure is broken, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. I see really innovative companies doing interesting things, like what you were just saying, B, where you've got um, a CMO, because a CMO is really focused, in my opinion, I think a great one, is really focused on how the company's perceived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No matter what, how your customers perceive you, how the marketplace, your reputation. Like if you're really brand focused, then you care about all of that. And yeah. that includes recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because I think Mark and I have had this discussion, where does brand live in an organization? Right. And I know Shelly, you and I had this brief conversation, I think offline as well, but it's the, it's the notion that brand is not just what you advertise. I think Cantor, Mark, keep me honest here. Cantor came out with a um, with a percentage that says only 25% of your brand is actually affected by the ads you put out. 75% is actually coming from all the other touch points that the consumer engages with. So that could be your front office, your 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 staff, your the products themselves, like all of that. So when you start thinking about you know the the brand in that context, you can see that it actually has probably more permutation outside of even the scope of marketing it now touches organizational level. So, you know, the employee brand itself, like how do you show up for potential candidates, et cetera. Now, the one question I have, you know, on the heels of that is it sounds to me that you can make a really strong argument that talent recruitment lives outside of HR. You mentioned earlier, you know, potentially even reporting to a commercial function or a marketing function. How much so I guess how many organizations have you actually seen take that step into that into that space? And what would you expect to see more of moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing a move in that direction. And it tends to be those organizations that already are um, thought leaders. So mm-hmm. you look okay. at your top, your Fortune 100s. They have an executive in charge of talent acquisition globally. And, uh, and it touches okay. all parts. It touches how we, how we market, um, yeah. h- how the company is branded and if it's branded in different markets for different parts of the world. Um, they're very sophisticated and they, they have very clear measures as well because the analytics available to our brothers and sisters in traditional consumer marketing or mm-hmm. digital marketing, um, there's there you can measure everything 
where, and that's what these larger organizations are doing. Um, you know, to name right. a few, certainly all of the FANG organizations, like the the, the Facebooks, the Amazons, yeah. um, they have enormous TA groups. Here in Canada, the one that I admire most would be KPMG. Hmm. And what they have hmm. done for the entire candidate experience, that is right from early talents to uh, alumni. And how they, um, they're, they're so innovative in how they look at talent acquisition, how they engage job seekers. Um, they have more of a CRM approach rather than tradition, most organizations. And the, the part of recruitment that is so badly broken is this whole top of funnel through their applicant tracking system, which is the horrible experience that you get when you try and apply for a job. Um, so... Um, I think I'm wandering off away from no, your no, question. That's good. I no, that's good. I, I actually have, have I really I've, answered your I'm question here. I'm excited but... here. I want to dig into oh. this a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> but so like, because you mentioned Canada Experience and V, uh, by the way, you were honest before. It was 2575 in the report. <laughs> um, but the, I, I did want to talk about Canada Experience because you have this perception, we're a great company. We want to attract the top talent. We have a race, even if you know everyone was up to date and we're like, yeah, it's a race to get the top talent. And yet, V has this experience recently. I just had the same thing. I've had it a whole bunch of times. I'm sure you have too, V. But it's yeah. months that pass by before you hear anything. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're right there with you. and you're, we, two, Give me two weeks. And then crickets for another six weeks. And I'm like, yeah what the fuck? <laughs> like, and I'm just left yeah. there waiting and there is no candidate experience. The The response rate that I have in V, I think you're close to me. It's like 85%. I, ha I hear nothing on the applicant. And I'm talking about over hundreds of applications that I've submitted now. And so I'm curious to know, like, first of all, maybe we need to break this into a whole bunch of parts, but as far as traditional recruitment being broken, there's this mechanism of job post goes up, there's uh, a, a resume that gets uploaded, some kind of mm -hmm. magic happens behind with the wizard and the curtain the behind <laughs> this ATS tracking <laughs> system. And then somehow people get selected for a job. But it, it all is a mystery to me. I don't really understand what happens there. I just know from a consumer, like if I am a consumer of that company, it seems very broken to me. First of all, and secondly, half, more than half the companies, I would say 95% of the companies I've never heard of. So they're not winning the race in my mind because I'm just discovering them at the same time that 800 other people are applying for the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, let me apologize for your horrible experience um, and I think 2022 in recruitment, we called the year of reckoning Oh yeah, because the job market spoke loud and clear that, um, and so let me back up, you know, I can point directly to why it is, what happened and how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Um, so first of all, um, the applicant tracking system, we can point the blame squarely on database analysts. Hmm. They said, we want clean data. 
Well, there's only one way to do that. And that is to force everyone to a unified process where the data comes in in one form. So even though you upload your resume, it, it, the, the, the programmers have, have it set up so that it's supposed to parse your resume and fill in all these fields. Oh yeah. Well, okay. I don't know about you, but nope. how many times would you buy from Amazon if they made you do that every time you wanted to buy something? Eight pages and 45 minutes and it still didn't parse it correctly and you can't go back a screen. Yeah. Okay. So people will only do that how many times? Right. right before they go, never again Screw am it. I going to yeah. do this. So, so I blame uh, database administrators because they they had to have their clean data. They never once thought about what's the experience for you trying to apply to the job. Um, so that's can part just, of where it starts. Can I just now give that, a shout out to Workday for that because it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, and Lever and uh, I'm trying to think Bamboo HR. They're all terrible. Like, well, so. Here's the thing. So this is where we get to point back again to our friends in HR. Yeah. Guess who made the decision on what tool we are going to use for the first experience that somebody's going to have interacting with our organization? Who made that decision? If a recruiter made that decision or if marketing made that decision, they probably would have test drove the experience before they signed that purchase order. Hmm. But they didn't. What HR was sold, and remember when I said HR people just don't like people? It's true. <laughs> and not only that, but HR people hate recruiting. Yeah. If you've got an HR person whose part of their role is to also recruit, it is the last thing that gets done. That's why it takes three months to get back to you. Hmm. Because if I'm in HR, I've got to deal with payroll. I've got Susie crying in front of me. And one of our best employees just told me he's got brain cancer and six months to live. This is all in a day's work in HR. Yeah. And that is no joke. So where do you think no. recruiting is going to fall within my day-to-day -day responsibilities? It is off on the corner of my desk and I won't touch it for months. Mm -hmm. That's a problem with HR having recruitment under the same responsibility as an HR person. Recruiters are a different breed of cat. So that's why that's another reason why it takes so long. The other thing is HR said, what can I do to make my job easier? I've got an idea. Let's make the candidates do all the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. How's that working for you? Well, 2022, the reckoning, um, it was researched and reported and remains true to this day that 86% of job seekers will bail out on that first screen as soon as they see that you're going to make me fill in nine screens of information. Mm -hmm. They just won't do it. So we have in recruitment what we call an abandonment rate. Right. So it's kind of like somebody who's doing online shopping fills up their cart yep. and then they get to check out and now you're going to ask me to fill in nine fields. Yeah of information or nine pages of information. Nope. I'll just abandon my shopping cart. So it's the first time that, that we as an industry saw um, the monster that we'd created hmm. and that monster bit us back hmm. because we had 
not only uh, abandonment rate of for every hundred people that were sent that clicked on the intention to apply bailed out 90%, like up to mm-hmm. 90% bailout. Hmm. So that means we now have 10 people to choose from when we would have had a hundred and they're going, what happened here? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it came back to bite you. Um, the other thing I'd point to is that job boards also change the game. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, indeed, for example, they're the dominant player here in Canada. They're an aggregator and they are a search engine. Mm-hmm. They're not a job board. Everyone thinks they're a job board, but they are not. Um, they have deep analytics and technology that knows your every behavior. And, and they analyze it. And they use it to their advantage because you're in their world. Uh, but it also means that rather than you having to go to 50 different companies, career sites, you can get it all in one place. Right. There's certainly nothing innovative about that. I mean, we've all heard of TripAdvisor or Trivago. Yeah. Like nobody's yeah. going back the other way saying, no, no, I, I'd, I'd rather look on every company's, um, every hotel's site to see if I can get a better yeah. deal. No. Um, so it also meant that job seekers can now apply for a hundred jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that also do on the flip side? It also means that as a recruiter, I may end up like if I've got one of these terrible systems like Workday or Success Factors or Oracle Cloud or Taleo or any of those. If I've got one of those terrible systems, I've got the problem of not enough because people will not endure my crappy process. And then on the right. flip side, if you got nothing, you could have hundreds of people apply, mm-hmm. most of which are applying to everything on mm-hmm. the Internet. Yeah. And I mean everything. Yeah. You yeah. could now you can now get widgets that will apply for you to a hundred positions a day. Yeah, so I was just thinking about that actually. For me, <laughs> it's just so fruitless. <laughs> There's got to exactly. be a system, a plugin that I can get that would just upload my resume. There is, there yeah. is, there is, and there's quite a few of them out there actually. But what, now, what that does to us on the other side in recruitment is. It's physically, if you're only needing to fill one job, how many, it's never about how many, it's about the quality. Right. Then you right? get overwhelmed and there's a lot of junk. Well, that yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Cause like sometimes you'll use the LinkedIn. LinkedIn is another great aggregator, obviously. Uh, and they have the LinkedIn easy apply. Great feature. I've used it. I think everyone's used it. It's great. However, sometimes it also tells you, not all the time, it tells you how many people also applied for the mm-hmm. job. So it was exactly what you're talking about, Shelly. Sometimes I'll see a position. There's like over 200 people have already applied for it. I'm like, do I even like hit apply? Because what is even the chance then that my resume even gets? But then what you start doing is like, okay, am I connected to anybody that may be working at the company? So you start working backwards potentially to use your network to get in the front door and get your resume in front of someone instead of using the actual service that was created there to reduce the friction to application, which is, well, I think everybody appreciates that, but then the volume is just so high. I can't expect anybody to go through that mm. realistically. Do you, do you have premium by the way on LinkedIn? Um, my, if LinkedIn's listening, my, uh, my free thing <laughs> is drawn up. So I don't have it right I, now. I, 
I recently <laughs> got it and the 200 number, it just stops counting that. When I got the premium, oh, does it? it shows me like 800, 1600, people, 800? whatever. The, like Great. it's crazy how many people are. So that speaks to your point though, Shelly, that you can get overwhelmed by just people that are applying to everything. So can I let you in on a little secret about LinkedIn? Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. What it's showing you is how many people clicked and read the ad. It's so that's, not, that's it's like not that how many people applied. You're talking about. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I asked my colleagues who use LinkedIn Recruiter, how many hires can you actually attribute to the source being LinkedIn? They're usually stuck for an answer. Hmm. Really? I didn't expect that. Um, LinkedIn is also not an aggregator. LinkedIn's technology um, is extremely outdated. Hmm. Their technical debt is, I mean, I think they should be, well, I mean, they should be ashamed of themselves hmm. what they charge corporations for their, their recruitment products and tools uh, because hmm. their technology has not improved, not hmm. since Microsoft bought them. Um, they are running the same crap that they ran back in 2010. It really has not advanced at all. Their matching technology is terrible and it's not an aggregator. It's a pay to play. So what that means for, okay. for recruiters is I need to buy a job slot It uh, versus Indeed. Indeed trolls the internet, scrapes anything on a career site, and then their technology looks for duplicates and it looks for, you know, anything that's offside, like not real jobs or, um, you know, anything that doesn't line up with their community guidelines. They mm -hmm. just send to nowhere land. So mm -hmm. it is a true aggregator of jobs and only jobs. Whereas LinkedIn, you have to pay for your job slots as an employer. I did not know that. That's true. So what about like if we go back to the brand idea, the employer brand idea mm -hmm. and the race for talent? Um, what are like how are like maybe you've seen some good examples of companies that are sitting there with like a whole bunch of talent that is in their database. And I know everybody talks about that. I'll put you in the database and blah, blah. When something comes up, we'll reach out. But maybe you've seen good examples of this because like, it, I don't know where they exist, but I'd be interested to know how a brand can attract talent and, and then do something with it to the point like, you know, maybe NPS or EMPS or employee, employee mm -hmm. engagement surveys are, are dumb. So too, I think are a lot of these like ideas around, you know, acquiring resumes for the sake of acquiring resume. Like, I don't know that you do anything with that. Like how, what, what's a good way of managing the brand and then managing the experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it starts with a belief. If you've got talent acquisition, uh, I mean, have you ever talked to a CEO or you read those studies where you ask a CEO, what's, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night? Yeah. Do you know what they inevitably say? Trying to find the right talent. Okay, so if that's really the case, does talent acquisition report to you as the CEO? Hmm. In companies where it does. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being recruited by Microsoft or Facebook or Amazon or any of those top tier brands. Um, it is an experience and it's a relationship. So I, I do know firsthand of someone who had applied 
went through the whole process with Microsoft and she was, you know, the runner up Mm -hmm. for two years. That recruiter stayed in regular contact with her. Hmm. And when an opportunity came up, she got it. She brought her in Hmm. again, had to go through the same process. Is this, you know, the right fit for you? But that's what a recruiter does. A true recruiter. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So what we see 90% of the time are not really recruiters. They are recruitment administrators. They've got, we've got these complex systems like those terrible ones we just named. Um, they require an administrator just to, to get stuff done. And that's all they're doing is, and it's usually an admin person that is looking at the resumes, making a decision. Is this a go forward or nowhere? Um, and that's why you don't hear back as well, is they've got an administrator looking at it and they don't know what to do. Hmm. They really don't know what to do. Um, so so a true recruiter and using your, you know, your applicant tracking system should then convert into like a, a we call them a candidate management system. Mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we have a set cadence as recruiters. And we can use this tool to reach back out to them because we treat them the same way sales would treat a lead. Mm-hmm. This is great talent. They they weren't quite the fit we were looking for at this point, but we know great talent. So I develop mm-hmm. a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And whether that relationship is two years or 10 years, when I call you V and I say, hey, you and I spoke five years ago. And one of the things you told me, or your the top three things you needed to hear about an opportunity, I have something. Would you talk to me? Right. Of course. Okay. So that's what a recruiter does. A real recruiter. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, you, the, to the insanity of always buying more people to put in this applicant tracking system database that literally atrophies. They do mm-hmm. nothing with it. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. And tell me this, if, if, if it was a sales department and marketing brought me all these leads and marketing keeps buying me leads and I just, I just put them in this applicant tracking system and do nothing with them, how long would that salesperson keep their job? They'd be fired. They'd be fired. Absolutely. They'd be fired <laughs> and their boss would be fired. So tell me, you know, so a true recruiter would never let that happen. Like that is how you build um, and become a a valued resource within the organization, right? You're not part of HR. You are part of an ongoing relationship development with not, not only because you got to have the same with your, with your hiring managers, right? They need to trust you and they need to know that, when um, we know exactly when, when the likelihood of somebody leaving their role, when they're going to leave mm-hmm. their role, who's next up for a promotion. So two years in advance, I pretty much know as a recruiter what talent we're going to need. Hmm. So I will develop relationships today knowing what is the succession plan, what is the likelihood of this person leaving. That's the way it should work. That's an, yeah, honestly, because when I reflect now on my experiences, Mark, I think like they're going to be similar to yours, even with the recruiters, and maybe I, I'm going to use that very loosely, that term right now, 
because I wouldn't say they they really stand up to that litmus test that you just described. Like I'm not getting that experience from a relationship perspective or spending that. Like I remember I, I emailed back a recruiter saying, hey, let's spend some time together and build up my profile for you. And it's been three weeks since I've heard back from that. So those are the little things that for me are you know not helping as well. Now, I, we talked about brand, but I want to talk about the candidate brand or their personal brand a little bit, because I think that's also important how you potentially find the right talent for, um, for any organization. And I know both Mark and I are investing a lot of time in creating, um, well, we have our own websites right now to kind of highlight, you know, the things that we've done, what we do, et cetera, trying to, you know, showcase that. How important is personal brand in the recruitment process? And do you see things not working there as well, or maybe not enough focus on that? Yeah. Do you know, it's something that is talked about often um, because it's, you know, we're expected to how many times in our lifetime write this compelling document about who we are. Mm -hmm. How many times in your whole life do you have to do that when outside of, you know, perhaps if you're part of a big corporation and you're always writing RFPs and profiling you or whatever, but most people write a resume five times in their whole lifetime could you be expected to be good at it? Mm-hmm. And there are certain professions where um, never should you ever, would it even occur to you to have a personal brand? Now, right. because of the industry that I'm in and the industry that you guys are in, guess what? You are held to a much higher standard. If you're in marketing or advertising, sales, recruitment, we are expected to have a profile. We are expected to participate in our community, to comment on things mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, um, to have a portfolio. And that portfolio should be something that is digital, that you can mm-hmm. send to someone at any point in time that talks about what you have actually done with samples and examples. Um, I think mm-hmm. brand is something that should never, you should never turn it off. It should always be on. Like even when you do land your next great opportunity, you need to keep adding to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so whether it's internal promotion or, you know, year-end performance review, if you're always building that portfolio of what you accomplished throughout the year, um, it makes it makes it such an easy decision on who to move forward with. You know, it- just a quick follow-up to that, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, but there's a lot of leaders out there right now that will always prioritize things about their teams. And even like, and I'm going to be guilty of this, and I know you did a review for me, but I will always show that it was a team effort, anything that we accomplished versus something that I accomplished personally, right? And that's a... And, that's not really maybe helping my personal brand because I'm not attributing the success to myself. I'm attributing to the team, but I wonder if there's something there that it's, it needs to be more of a focus on the things that say I did to really help build that brand instead. Absolutely. So, so here's the other side of that coin V is the fact that the organizations who will be attracted to you speak your language. You speak in terms mm. of we and them and they, and yeah. and you talk about your leadership and and so it's a it's the ability to lead a group of people and influence them to create these great results. 
So that's clue number one about what organizations are ideal for you. Because when they see that's authentically you, uh, Mm -hmm. there will be that connection to their culture, right? Which is something you couldn't possibly know unless you know someone that works there. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, So, however, here's, here's the thing. If you're, um, cause I think both of you admitted that you were applying online to active job mm-hmm. postings. So your statistically speaking, your chances are one in 300. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Actually seems high to me. Right now. <laughs> so if you like those, uh, if you like those odds, keep doing what you're doing. Right? Yeah. Like honestly, just, just carry oh. on. Um, <laughs> the fact is having, the like being active in your um, community, in your network, what you're doing with a podcast, um, giving back um, and commenting, constructively commenting on industry happenings and postings. Um, and, and also, yes, making sure that the, the really good recruiters and, and believe me, it's needle in a haystack because when you find a good one, it's a lifelong relationship. There's right. and, and it truly is. I, I can tell you personally, I started recruiting in 1994 and I am still to this day friends with like, I can, I can name probably 50 people on my LinkedIn profile that I worked with back in 94 to 96. Hmm. And they're still my friends and I still talk hmm. to them. It, it, it is part of why you work in this industry. So all that to say, coming back to, to I think what you were driving at is um, it's getting past that administrator. Mm-hmm. So there's a recruitment administrator who is dangerous. They don't even know what they don't know. They're taking a look at a job description, a poorly written job description. And they're looking at this document that you submitted and they're, they're trying to figure out, does this person have the things that match here? We're looking for, right? yeah. 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 So, so realizing if you, if you write that document to a ninth grade reading comprehension, you'll have better luck. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the, yeah. The, the funny part about that to me is that especially maybe this is more true in marketing. I, I don't know. My wife's in accounting, so I, I can say that at least from an accounting perspective, a lot of the terminology in accounting is standardized. So when you say things like debit and credit, it means the same thing, whether you're talking to me or somebody else who's an accountant. If you say to me as a marketer demand gen, it could mean 15 different things, right? And so (laughs) job descriptions are written that way. I imagine talent recruitment probably might be the same because you have talent recruitment, talent attracting, like HR. And and in my mind, if I were to write a job description for HR, it might just mix all the language up, not knowing Mm -hmm. that each one has a specific connotation or has evolved over time. And so I might be using old terminology. So I find that process fascinating. And so from a company's perspective, maybe if you can talk a little bit about that, like in your experience, like what is the right way to draw, write up a job description if 
you're going down the path of writing a job description and posting it because it still seems to be the traditional mechanism. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to need a job description anyway because the person you're hiring is going to have to have a scope of work and a list mm-hmm. of responsibilities. So what what's the ideal way to do that? So um, let me give you some, you know, I'm not just talking off, you know, the top of my head. Um, I just said I've been in recruitment since 1994. Mm-hmm. I have personally been involved in hiring over 3,800 people in my career. And I have personally interviewed well over 10,000 people. And I've read well over 100,000 resumes. Mm. So you begin to form patterns right. when you've mm. done it that long and for that many people. So here's what I can tell you. I don't care what industry it is. I don't care what I have recruited in every industry at every level that you couldn't name one that I have not at some point uh, worked with. And I don't care what the job is. I don't care if it's a VP of marketing or um, a co-op summer student. There are three things in any job that are responsibilities. Any job. Mm -hmm. There's no more than three. If you got more than three, then um, what you have is um, something just to fill space. Mm-hmm. Because when you read them, most of them are coming from the redundancy department of redundance. <laughs> like nobody, <laughs> nobody's reading this because if you read it, it's saying the same, same thing, thing a different way. Yeah. So it's garbage. It's garbage. You, I can take any, any job. And break it down to three things that you really need to be able to do so that when it's six months from today, if you've done these three things, we know we made the right hire. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And so experience, yes. Education, okay. But really it's experience. So we take and we flip that around to how you describe what you've done. Um, and, and how do you parse out of this garbage that they post on their career site and call it a job description? It's ter- It's laughable. It's mm-hmm. terrible. So yeah, it makes your job a lot harder because you're trying to pick out what are the three things that really, really matter? Well, you know what? If you've done the job, you already know what it is and you've done it already, mm-hmm. but we find it so hard to write that way about ourselves. Mm -hmm. almost in a clinical sense, because whether you call it talent acquisition or talent attraction or recruitment or um, recruitment administration, it doesn't matter what you call it. What doesn't change is what I accomplished. And that is over a three-year period, I personally hired 300 people a year Mm -hmm. in the most difficult recruitment market that we had seen since 1956. Mm-hmm. That is zero unemployment and over 100,000 jobs were vacant that year. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Right. So explaining it that way, nobody's going to misunderstand what I do mm-hmm. or what, mm-hmm. what I did, like what is my experience? So it's, it's, it's changing the way you think about how you describe what you actually did. And so if you, if you led a team of, six people or 60 people or 600 people, you see there again, there's some distinguishing markers, right? Like if you led a team of six, it's very different than leading a team of 600. Of but course, how do I yeah. know that? You just said I led people. 
Well, that doesn't help me. Yeah. It's not like you're not helping your case. And it doesn't matter. The terminology doesn't matter. What matters is what did you do? So that's, uh, so if I, if I'm interpreting this correctly, so if you're highlighting like the three things that you were able to accomplish in, in the role that you were assigned and you kind of structure your resume potentially that way, you're also highlighting if you are a leader, the amount of uh, people that you were leading, just one distinction there. It's not the direct reports, it's the broader team that even those direct reports encompassed. Is that correct? Right. So if if the the goal of your department was to um, uh, enter in a new market that was completely unfamiliar with your product or service mm-hmm. and take sales from zero to six million in three months. So you led the team that um, put together the strategy and the execution to introduce mm-hmm. the product into a new market. Uh, But it's important to point out, you did hit the goal, whatever that business goal was, you did hit that goal. But did you do it with a team of six or 60 or 600? Right, right. It's very, very different. It it also is very different if um, the organization is looking for someone who has led um, a division of 600 people. Yeah. So fair enough. It is, you know, so the same way job descriptions, and you're right, like you're at such a disadvantage um, if you're not speaking to the person that this job reports to. Yeah, there was a, when I had my career transition coach meeting, the first thing they talked about was like the amount of time you spent should be allocated to the percentage of success for that, um, that activity. So job application, they're like, 5% 5% of your time should go towards filling in jobs. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. It's shocking. And then some other number like 90% or 80% should be gone, uh, invested in networking. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was just fascinating to begin with because we have this like this system or framework. It's in a way, like we talked about the funnel. In a way, it's like this common language, like, you know, a job application. I have a job description. I have a resume. It's just this common language, but it doesn't work. <laughs> like, even from the career transition coach, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is normal, but don't do it because it's not going to get you anywhere. And so it's funny because we automatically, there's a guy that I um, heard say this once we respond rationally to a world that no longer exists. And so it's like, there's this world that we're responding to job application resume, but it actually doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. And so, you know, we're taking these past ideas around what is the norm and how do we go about getting jobs and we're doing those things, but it, they're not actually effective from either side, I think. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating. It is. It is. And it's so what's interesting is if you look at the big circle of life, beginning of your career, you know, and then the end of your career, um, those two things are very similar. Um, Getting your first job is probably the most frustrating experience in your whole life Mm -hmm. until somebody Mm -hmm. somewhere takes a chance on you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the end of our careers. And believe me, nobody wants you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we become, um, almost like, and I think a lot of people realize it because you, you get to those, you know, the final 10 years of your career 
and you are desperate to hang on to your job to protect what is yours because boy, going back out there on the street, it's, it is terrifying, terrifying Mm -hmm. because, and I mean, who's going to hire a 65 year old man who spent his entire career in it, Mm -hmm. who the last job that he left, he was making 280,000 a year. He ain't never getting another job. Mm -hmm. And if he does, it's going to be doing something completely different like pottery or painting. <laughs> it's true. So where where you sit is kind of that, uh, the power alley of your whole career, where every move that you make is going to build off the last. And so when we talk about networking, um, it is having kind of like sitting in whoever you're approaching, sitting in their chair and realize, they do they see you as friend or foe? Right. Right. And And let's also be honest. You guys are the top 1%. You know that, right? You, you're not of, average. Doesn't feel like that. Well, <laughs> in terms so of like, the uh, air gets career. thinner as well. Oh, The air gets thinner. Oh, fair. Because like, yes. there you're, are... You're like you're yes, choking people exactly. out as you get higher in your... So if yeah. you were looking... If you were looking for a job for 50000 a year, you'd have an offer and you'd have been working yesterday. But that's right. not what you're looking for. Yeah. Right? So you do fit into a category that is also going to be much more selective right. because they have to, there's more at stake. Yeah. If, and, and unless you find a company who wants, I am looking to hire somebody who's better than me because that's the only way I'm going to get promoted. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I'm yeah. looking for my succession and the higher you go, the succession needs to come internally with the exception of marketing. Marketing is one of those CMOs departments every, time, every couple of years, right? Every three years, because we need those fresh, we need that fresh thinking. We need you to question like, why are we doing it this way? Right. Uh, yeah. Very much the case. So the air is thinner. Um, it's hard to tell who's friend or foe, even as you're networking. That's true. Um, and the um, getting noticed and making sure that, you know, you do apply to those jobs that are truly interesting to you. Yeah. And then you've got your list of companies that are like, yeah, that is my dream job. Yeah. And here's why. Like, here's what I know about what I can bring that will take them to next level. Right. Right. And then there's um, your network of somebody who says um, they know who you are. They know what you've done. And they would without hesitation recommend you. Mm -hmm. So it's not, so the advice you had from your career coach is valid for sure. I don't suppose we're going to fix the whole system today in this conversation, but, (laughs) but I am curious if from your perspective, um, like just to say from a company perspective, is there one thing that a company can do to get better at recruitment, like flat out recruitment? If I had a magic wand, yeah, it would be that talent acquisition reports either to the chief operating officer yeah. or to the CEO. Because sitting in HR means we have no money. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no credibility. And we, all of our measurable results of what we have done get lumped into this big HR box. And 
Um, if, if you've got a chief human resource officer, I can tell you that they will be tackling issues that recruitment again falls off to the side. Mm-hmm. So if, if we had someone who's truly a talent acquisition leader, that is they, um, they have a responsibility to develop brand. They have a responsibility to ensure that our reputation as an employer, um, good or bad, we're managing it. Um, mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. a responsibility to put out job advertisements that are inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a responsibility to constantly upskill our uh, recruiters and ensure that they've got the tools that they need because technology and having the right technology makes it, gives you the time to develop that relationship. That's how we fix it mm-hmm. is we need to get it out from under HR first and foremost. So I'm going to piggyback off of that question that Mark just had around, and you know, I think it's a great takeaway for companies. What would you say for candidates? What if you, if there's one thing, a candidate that's listening to this podcast right now, what should they be taking away? They should be thinking about as they're looking to apply or, maybe transition to a new role? Um, First of all, understand what a recruiter's job is. If you can help me help you, we both win. Mm -hmm. So to send me a garbage resume that does not tell me what you did, what exactly is your experience, um, I would say put a little heart and soul into your resume. It's the first thing I see. Um, and apply for jobs that you know you're qualified for. Even if mm-hmm. you are, if you have, again, you're dealing with garbage here because unless your job ad is compelling and it's and it's realistic and it's inspirational, which is not many, it's not hard to stand out in this crowd, but most of them are these boring bullet points that are, mm-hmm. you know, like honestly trying to sift through that but at least apply for jobs that you know you're qualified for. Like don't plug up the system mm-hmm. by applying to a hundred jobs. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you really do your research and you apply for jobs that you are genuinely interested in, that you know you can do at least five out of the, the whole laundry list of bullet points, and you can demonstrate on your resume that this is something I have experience with, it just makes their job so, so much easier and realize that a lot of the companies with more than a thousand employees are going to have recruitment admin. That is Mm -hmm. somebody who is just looking at words on a paper, piece of paper. They're not recruiters. Um, They do kind of that first pass sorting. Mm -hmm. And so writing it to a level that I can read it in a first pass, imagine reading 150 resumes and they all look the same. Yeah. That's how we end up with bias. That's how we end up with terrible hiring practices is you, you're just exhausted. And so then you start looking at, oh, where'd this person go to school? Mm-hmm. What are their interests? Well, what's yeah, that yeah. got to do with their experience? Nothing. Mm. Yeah. It- but it's a sea of sameness out there. Oh, my God. If I could show you the back end of Indeed and the thousands of resumes that come in and they all look the same i kid you not yeah well i i one of the pieces of advice i got 
for my, um, from my career coach was, or transition coach was standardize your resume so that the applicant tracking system can upload it easy. So there's no lines, no like thing, nothing that wouldn't fit into easy, be easily uploaded. And so it was like, I wonder if somehow we've created the system has created its own like negative experience because of like, we're all trying to game a system both on the recruit on the company side and on the recruitment side and on the candidate side. Which is crazy because as marketers, we, we should be showing creativity. We should be showing oh, sure. a different way of thinking. Which is partly where right? like and, a website maybe is a better fit for creativity. Yeah, I don't know. fair. Yeah, that's a fair True. point. So um, I'll tell you, none of the applicant tracking systems work. It You could spend days yeah. like standardizing your resume and each system is different. Totally. So I know that your career transition coach probably had all good intentions, but yeah. probably doesn't have a deep dive of the technology. And, yeah. and I will tell you as um, an industry leader, thought leader in talent acquisition, they're all different. Mm-hmm. So don't bother. Yeah. Uh, having a document, usually PDF is best. And, and I'll tell you why. Because um, on most every single system, when you attach a resume, if it's in Word, guess what? It gets jumbled it's up. It's got to start yeah. up Word every time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going through 100 resumes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> please. So, but a PDF pops up immediately. And it's visual. Right. And it's yeah. what I'd expect from somebody in marketing. Yeah. that's so. Funny. Make it a visual experience. Um, yeah. It's so funny. Um, I, I, one question for you also just to round out. So we talked about the companies, we talked about the candidates and in your mind, is there one piece of advice for recruiters that would be different than for the companies or is it kind of the same thing as far as the advice goes for com- recruiters? Um, I think for recruiters, what I would ask is to put your big boy pants back on and start advocating (laughs) for the right technology Um, and don't allow your hiring managers to just say, oh, no, just post the job description. Because without a great piece, like something that someone would read and say, I'm willing to quit my job Mm -hmm. to go and do this. Mm-hmm. It, um, it does mean, um, you know, before chat GPT, like I'll admit there is not, there is very few recruiters that have a creative copyright gene in them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe I'm one in a 10,000 that have it. And I don't know why, like maybe I should be medicated. I don't know. But now that we have chat GPT, you can take these crappy job descriptions, throw them in chat GPT and tell it to write you something that is fun, upbeat, inspirational, and something that a heavy duty mechanic would actually think is funny mm-hmm. and it'll write it for you. Mm-hmm. That's what chat GPT is for. Yeah. So um, my message to recruiters is this um, AI is not, AI is going to replace you. Mm. It absolutely is going to replace you if you don't upskill. Right. You need to get in the game because you're not even in the game if all you're doing is posting a job and waiting for somebody to apply. That is recruitment administration. Hmm. So recruiters, get out there and upskill yourself 
or you will be replaced by AI. Hmm. So this is so many things. (laughs) Is there more? We we probably we probably could have gone a lot longer. But honestly, like Mark said, this has been an incredible conversation, and maybe more for us selfishly, especially during the state that we that we currently find ourselves in. in. But we we're in a state. We're in a state, <laughs> but um, how can uh, how can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, Shelley Billinghurst. Um, I don't think there's too many. There's a few of us on there, but I'm the the one from Calgary. Um, the Recruitment Flex podcast, and we're available on every podcast player. Um, and of course, my company is Higher Value Inc., and that's higher as in you got the job. Um, and I'm, I love being at, you know, community events. Um, and I, I love talking about recruitment. I never, ever get tired of talking <laughs> about it. We're at 300 episodes, you guys. Like, That's who incredible. can talk about recruitment for like 300 plus hours? <laughs> well, I can. Marketers <laughs> can talk about marketing, I think, for 300 episodes. Right. Because it always changes. So I wanted to ask one closing question. Sure, um, of course. And that is when you think about an employer brand, who in your mind has the best employer brand? Hey, that's a, we, we are not prepared for that question. <laughs> well, I would say, so there's one that's, so Benevity sticks out for me um, because of something Locally. they did. Yeah, well, and they're they're a pretty big company, but they went and, and had to f- lay off a whole bunch of people. Um, they're in tech and that happened to a lot of tech companies that earlier in the year, but then they took one step further and they published a list of everybody. I think you had to say whether or not you want to be on the list or not, but they went and they took the names of all the people and their job that they were in and posted them available so that post them online so that people could see them. And they directed traffic there through, just a, I don't know if they've mm-hmm. had paid traffic or not, but they said we had to let go a whole bunch of people. Um, a lot of them are really good people, and we're sad to see them go. But it was a business choice. Here they are, if you need them. <laughs> and so right. I don't know if I don't know of any other company that's ever done that personally. I think there probably are other companies that maybe have done that. Um, but I thought that was a great um, expression of an employer brand. And looking at the long term, not just the short term. So awesome. I don't know if that's a you know, it's a great yeah. example. I think um, I'm actually struggling with this question, if I'm being honest, because I think the 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 employers that I would put at that top list would be because it's organizations I want to work for because they've shown creativity in the market and ways of advertising, right? So. For me, um, if we go locally here, I think WestJet's always had a really strong uh, brand uh, in terms of culture, their presence here, and they're very involved in the community, so it's easy to kind of root for them. But take that national scale, then you you are looking more at the, I think Lululemon would have a a really strong uh, brand from that perspective, but I don't have a lot of context to behind the scenes in terms of like, well, what is their potential culture? But as a marketer, would love to work for for example, say Lululemon. Yeah. So um, can I give you mine? Yeah. It's of probably course. the most unpopular um, answer ever. But employer brand should repel 
as equally as it should attract. Okay. So would the same person who would want to work for Canada Post be the same person who'd want to work at Tesla? Probably not. No. But what does Canada Post do? It repels Tesla-ish people. And Tesla would repel Canada Post type people. Mm-hmm. That to me is the true essence of an employer brand. Because we don't, hmm. Elon Musk has been so clear. If you're not willing to sleep on the manufacturing floor, give me um, every piece of your flesh mm-hmm. and don't complain about it and tolerate my um, my behavior, my publicly embarrassing of the company behavior. Um, if you can still get behind that and you know if you go work for him, I mean, he took Twitter from 7,000 people to 1,500. 1,500, yeah. Right. Okay. And you stay why? The only people that stayed was because they want to work for somebody like Elon. His culture is all absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. We are going to strip you down until you, until you basically, there's nothing left of you Mm -hmm. because I want, um, he even, he even said, if you want to stay here at Twitter, um, I'll be here over the weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. No respect for people. No, he doesn't care if you don't like it because I don't want you around me if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. That's brand (laughs) because I would never work for him. Never. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd never work for Canada Post either. So when we think about employer brand, I would leave you with this is, you know, and great examples in your answers. Absolutely. Um, because how how we treat people in the community and how we treat those people that work for us is is really whether or not you're going to stay in business. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't treat your people well, your customers don't get treated well. Um, but brand is equal amounts of attraction and repulsion. Mm-hmm. That's employer brand. Yeah, it's for somebody and not for others. Yeah, yep. fair enough. Shelly, this has been great. So thankful Thanks, to have you for, for this time that we've had you for and the conversation and your insights. And yeah, it's just been fascinating. Thank you. Au revoir. And now the post pod with V and Mark. Okay, V. Three, two, one. Post pod. Post pod. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> trying to think of a new jingle as we kind of enter the post oh, area yeah that's a good one right <laughs> yeah i really like that can you do that again <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that is perfect just, we got it we nailed it <laughs> sorry listeners yeah we're entertaining ourselves okay so post pod we had shelly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. honestly i'm like so fascinated by that conversation i i completely agree I loved even like some of the numbers she threw at us. Like we have one in 300 chance of actually securing a job through the posting or the traditional avenues. I'm like, great odds. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so what's the flip side of that? Does that mean that the recruiters and the talent acquisition people have to go and the HR people have to go through 299 other resumes before they find the one? Well, I think I think that's what they're supposed to do. I don't know if they <laughs> they actually do. 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, I think, I think the one thing we learned very quickly from, from our conversation with Shelly is a lot of the processes are broken on a lot of different fronts that actually mm-hmm. impacts the candidate experience. And mm-hmm. we can get into some of the highlights that, that we thought, but I think for me, yeah. at the crux of it is, is, is that there, there's a broken system at play here that unfortunately doesn't favor those that may have mm-hmm. um, the right um, skill sets or, or qualities for a specific mm-hmm. role. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's the, the, the thing I I kept coming back to, and even as I was taking notes, as we were talking, um, I, I constantly was putting things in my notes, like sales is talent recruitment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or, or the resume, like as a personal brand, your resume is more like, what was the word I put in here? Um, like a solutions brief. Yeah. Right from a product perspective, you create this solutions brief that describes what your product is and does and who it's for and all that, which is similar. Like so, there's and and there's the pipeline, Mm -hmm. the talent pipeline, just not a sales pipeline. It's not a sales pipeline. And so over and over again, I keep putting these references in there for the similarities between the talent recruitment process, yeah, and and sales and marketing pipeline. And I, it's it's so. Uh, interesting to me that that I'm making this connection. It's it, and I, to her point, I think it really is interesting in the the relationship between yeah. marketing people and talent recruitment people or sales recruitment people and how important that is. Um, it was just a really eye opener. It was a big eye opener for me. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I know we we talked a little bit off offline before we jumped on um, to record the post pod here, but. Honestly, I think there's probably more direct correlation there to the way <clears throat> sales is oriented in, in an organization to how, you know, maybe talent acquisition or recruitment um, is also kind of operating. But at the same same side, at the same side of the coin, though, is are they all are they both held to the same standard? So you have like mm-hmm. salespeople that are, that are there to drive sales at the end of the day, revenue for the organization, talent acquisition. Are they getting compensated on the amount of leads that they generate, the quality of leads? Is there something like that? And I think that's where, again, it goes back to what, what does a process actually look like? Is it somewhat broken mm-hmm. and actually doesn't help talent ac- um, talent acquisition in, in, the, in the right site? But I think maybe we, we just quickly start with like, and Shelly did a fantastic job really creating this delineation between HR and talent acquisition. And right. I don't know if you wanted to start there. Um, I thought it was eye-opening for me because I I always saw HR as kind of being that blanket. And I'm with you. Totally. Talent acquisition in there. Okay, cool. Everybody's happy. But yeah. clearly, <laughs> not everybody <laughs> is happy. <laughs> totally. No, I had the same, like anything related to recruitment, acquisition, like talent acquisition, yeah. and HR, uh, all that fits under the same banner in my mind like I, I mean that's just showing my ignorance yeah um probably more than anything but i, I thought it was fascinating to her, like the conversation we had um or the point of the conversation where we were talking a little bit about culture right and how hr in my perspective i think i'd said like is influential on the company culture in right. terms of they implement programs and um, I've seen some really great examples of that. And I think mm-hmm. you have too, where there's different kinds of leadership programs that they institute or yeah. um, 
uh, psychological safety was a thing that we yeah. did not too long ago and, and training staff and trying to upskill staff. And so, yeah. you know, doing MPS surveys, whether EMPS surveys, whether they're helpful or not, mm-hmm. it's a whole other thing, which actually is a side note. We have an interesting conversation coming up about MPS. Um, yeah, but but there's the, the talent, uh, sorry, the HR department has a huge influence on culture. Mm-hmm. You also have these departmental cultural subsets which might work with or work against the overall company culture but culture then is what the talent acquisition people are selling right to the future uh employees yeah but they don't manage the culture so it's almost like product development in a way yeah and then this the talent acquisition people are like the sales people trying to sell the product that has been created and so if they're not Connected and working together, um, it becomes a problem, I think, in terms of being able to win the race for talent because you end up having people that don't know anything about it or don't know anything, don't trust that the talent or the culture is real. Yeah. And I think this is where the tie back to brand is really important, right? It, totally. It's easy when we think about it through the context of marketing, what, what is brand, how we define brand to say as marketers. But honestly, the the experience that you may have as a candidate for an organization also is setting up the the perception for for that brand too. So I think it's yeah. it's one of the things where, and I know we, we had a great dialogue there with Shelley around that. So where does this actually live? You know, I know yeah. you and I both have the conversation. Where does brand live for an organization? But if right. talent acquisition is a lot closer to maybe. Um, how the company comes to life in front of the candidates, maybe maybe she's right along the lines of it has to be closer to some of those, when she mentioned maybe going right to a CMO or the CEO potential or CEO or CEO. Or CEO. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be against it, you know, I'll be honest. And because she did, she did create that delineation as well, saying like, you know, HR is really more of a cost center, whereas, you know, talent mm-hmm. acquisition is they're looking to invest dollars in the brand at least yeah. how the brand shows up for for candidates. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's just a fascinating place to see like how the scope of brand is actually a lot larger um, than many people realize. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Um. There, there was that one stat I wanted to ask you about that she had said eighty six percent of job seekers. That <laughs> I was wrote the that reckoning. down too. Yeah. Yeah. Bailout on resume submissions, almost like an abandoned yeah. cart, and so. Would you? What was your take on that? I didn't think it was that high. Um, I know I've personally probably abandoned some applications just because it's, um, it seems so cumbersome and it wasn't enough for me just to upload my resume. Um, yeah. But I think if it's a role that you really want, you go through the process regardless. Yeah. So, and this is where it goes back to kind of that conversation we we're having around how to write the right job descriptions, how to make right. sure that you're you're really applying to it. But eighty six percent that's that's a very very high number. But it's also when you think about the platforms, even like Indeed, LinkedIn, Indeed has like an easy apply function too, but so does, you know, uh, LinkedIn. It's why a lot of candidates use those because it's like, you know what, if I can just apply here, at least I'm psychologically saying I applied for a role and here's my list of 150 roles I've applied over the last 10 weeks or whatever the number is, Mm -hmm. I'm doing my part. When in actuality, 150 more to go to get that one job. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that I, I, I just blows my mind. But it, yeah. yeah, it seems it seems high, but 
yeah i i I really can't push that because if that's what she's she's seeing then it's probably valid i don't know what did you think about that yeah again i I mean calling it an abandoned cart again is there a connection between e-com and um and and talent acquisition yeah fair so the language part was interesting to me because then i started thinking about like customer experience and click paths and uh, the customer journey and the yep. user experience that they have. And all those things go into um, creating that brand experience. And then on the other end of that, you've got, mm-hmm. uh, what did she call it? A, a recruitment and administrator. That's a, you know, entry level person yep. that's trying to understand and sort through the language on some of these resumes that they may or may not understand. Um, yeah. And so all of that is part of the talent's, brand experience with that company yeah um and i you know on the sales side because there's dollars tied to it at the end or the sales and marketing side there's revenue and profit and attribution models and all that kind of stuff you look for ways for constantly improving that all the time optimizations yeah i don't know because there's not money usually you're you're spending money to bring talent in yeah um i don't know if there's the same interest in optimizing the brand experience i i would venture to guess it's probably most of, more of an afterthought for many organizations they they probably perceive that if the brand is large enough on its own think about this actually let me pose a question to you when a recruiter asks you your top three companies that you'd potentially be interested to work for yeah what are the three companies that usually come top of mind truthfully it's the companies that i've heard of right like so now we're going back to mental availability right that's that's exactly where i was going with this is it's the companies that you've a heard of it's companies that are likely have large marketing budgets so you're seeing them everywhere they'd be like you know what it must be great to work for them because i see them ever so it means they have deep pockets so i'd love to be a part of something like that it's never so maybe there's organizers say you know what this is enough for us and we don't have to invest on the other side but I know you and I both had a shared experience where we went through the recruitment process of a, of a startup, but it was such a great um, experience that we, 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 we look at the brand through a positive light. Yeah. Shout out to mint smartwash. Yeah, man. Mint smartwash. (laughs) (laughs) But it it, like, but they've intentionally thought about their process. And I think to your point, like putting a lever in place or one of the other systems that's available isn't necessarily the like just because you did that and invested in that doesn't necessarily i know it solves a problem probably around volume but it's not necessarily around uh, like a solution around brand yeah um and so in some ways i almost from a candidate experience and even from an employer experience um when i was hiring I would say like I almost would have preferred just to reach out to people. Yeah. Or have many, many fewer applications. Totally. Um, then have to go through three, four hundred that she's right. Like there's so many people that were applying that had they were it seems like they were applying to anything. Yeah. Like if if there's yeah, if there's a job posted, they were applying. And so there's I don't know, half of the three hundred resumes that I saw were like that. Yeah, and I think that's where the conversation then we kind of dove into, you know, the role of a recruiter, a, a general recruiter, where it's, you know, she really kind of hinged on a few things saying like, 
they're building experiences to help building relationships. It's something that you work with a recruiter over a long period of time. It's a relationship that works over time. And unfortunately, like I haven't had that experience yet. And maybe I just haven't found the right individual to represent me or, you know, I, I don't know mm-hmm. potentially what that is, but I, I think there is an element here where we as candidates need to hold recruiters maybe to a higher standard as well. Um, yeah. And it, it has to work both ways. So on the one side, you want to work and help build, you know, the profiles of, of you so then they can take to market, but also them investing that time in you is also important because, um, like I said, you can talk to 15, 20 different recruiters. They're all quote unquote working for you, helping you. Yeah. But yeah. who have you actually developed a meaningful relationship with that in a moment's notice, some something crosses their desk like, oh my goodness, this is going to be perfect for Mark. This has more right. Rick and written all over it, but they may have right. two, 200 different candidates. Right. So I think that's something yeah. for me that's, that really stood out in the conversation and, and really kind of finding that right, I guess, uh, recruiter for you. Yeah. It could go a long way. Yeah. And the other part, just going back to that idea around uh, mental availability that we're talking about, like, mm-hmm. honestly, the, um, I, I made a note here about placements. So if, mm-hmm. if, if I'm running, if she mentioned running great ads, yeah. Like if I'm if I'm trying to recruit talent, yeah, the right talent, mm-hmm. and, and wanting to win the race for that talent, um, a job posting is one thing, mm-hmm. and I and I know there's sometimes cost to do that, sometimes not, yeah. But having the ability to position the company a specific way that's you know, gives me a reason to want to think about them. Like supporting a job posting with ads is super helpful because as a candidate, like you're tell right. me what percentage of people you think you've ever, or companies you've ever heard of that you're applying to before applying to that job. There's not many. Like you, you look at the job postings and you're, you're trying to match a title potentially to a job description. Like, hey, this might work. What does this company do by the way? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, because I guess the ones that you, we are top of mind, um, or sorry, the companies that are our top of mind that you may have a better understanding, maybe they're not, um, you know, they're not always looking for the roles that you may, or they have a really big pipeline. So they're able to really kind of promote from within. So nothing really becomes externalized as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a candidate, I'm going to think about, a, <laughs> let's say I'm the greatest talent piece of talent, <laughs> piece, piece of, of talent. talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dumbest way to say that. <laughs> Let's say I'm, I'm for whatever, like for argument's sake, I'm the best candidate 100%. on the planet for some kind of job. Yep. It, I'm as a candidate, mm. I'm gonna have on my list, like maybe Telus, maybe it used to be Shaw. And speaking in Calgary, Telus yep. Shaw, WestJet, FGL was at one point WestJet. Yeah. Um, the brew, the, those are the big ones here in the city yeah those are the big ones yeah <clears throat> maybe a little petro canada oh yeah on the tech side Atco. maybe there's like some yeah Atco. so there's like a handful of companies that are in that space because there are they are big and everybody's kind of heard them seen them know that they exist here and that kind of stuff yeah outside of that mm-hmm. i'm i'm like you're taking a risk if, if you're a re- on the brand side trying to recruit me being the greatest piece of talent <laughs> for this. i love that 
like you're you're not only racing to try and get me but you're you're it's a bloodbath to try and get me yeah because i've never heard of you before and unless i stumble across you like you're gonna have to do a lot in the recruitment process totally to, to try and get me because you've just never heard of me yeah so like i think there's something there around like in general companies generally believe on the marketing side and i think this is this is true especially true but i also think on the talent brand it's more true i would say now to me than ever before yeah is that start from a point of view that nobody's ever heard of your company before yeah and then from there build out a plan around recruitment i love that actually yeah it's 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 if you think about it it's actually very similar when you're thinking about going to market for a new product or service you know, totally. you pretend that someone's never heard of that processor. So how are you going to start building those, uh, the mental structures or the mental availability yeah. to start building that stickiness over time? Right. And yeah. I think that's where Shelly's right in the context that you'll have to invest to do so. Yeah. It takes money. Well, even <clears throat> as crazy as this is going to sound, there are people that have never heard of Coke. Yeah. And Nike and Apple and all those kinds, especially younger people that are like just learning how to speak and, you know, three-year-olds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you think about that as being new and emerging talent that is coming out of school and all that kind of stuff, there's a whole bunch of group of people in the planet that don't know your company, even if you're the biggest company in the the world. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where, it's important to have, and Shelly mentioned this too, your brand should never be off. Yeah. From a personal branding perspective, but also from a talent brand perspective. Yeah. Um, the one thing I, and that I really enjoyed is when she started ta- highlighting some of the things, like as candidates that we should be looking at and looking to do. Yeah. And she really highlighted, make sure that you're really active with your network. Obviously that seems like, you know, um, obvious, but I think like, yeah when everyone is working and you're not looking for work, you probably aren't networking the same way. You're not checking in you're not really kind of, you know, so that's something that I, that I took away. I would also argue, you know, how do you get involved in maybe local community or maybe industry uh, events, uh, staying obviously connected uh, through those, but even using LinkedIn. And I think we're, we're kind of maybe an exception because we're, we're fairly active on LinkedIn where we will share, you yeah. know, our own thoughts, uh, obviously the podcast in of itself, but making sure you're, you're investing time on that too is, is also really important. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think like we, we we're quick to forget sometimes that all of this takes nurturing and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you and I both have come to the realization that our next gig is likely going to come through our network. It's mm-hmm. not going to come through a job postings um, unless it yeah. triggers a thought or to connect with someone. But other than that, it's it's really going to be oriented with you know timing people that we already know that can nudge totally. us in the right direction. Yeah, and it's a great point about that you made, V, about um, the networking component and always doing it, especially when you're already in a job. Yeah, because when you're out of a job, there's a sales cycle. You yeah. know, going back to the sales analogy yeah. around finding a job and like summers are slow as we found out (laughs) Uh, christmas i'm getting is slow yeah you know 
Uh, if there's a recession, things are going to slow. Like yeah. there's all these market factors that are that are going to slow things down at different times, and maybe it'll speed up at different times. Yeah. But if you only start networking at that point that you get let go or you yeah. want to change jobs or whatever the thing is that prompted you to start looking, there's a sales cycle there that's going to be longer than if you were always networking to begin with. Exactly. And I know sometimes work- which is brand building. Like that's part of the brand building. Thing. Exactly. And it, think about all the times when you're in work and you may have a recruiter reach out, Hey, let's share like an opportunity with you. And I know I've been guilty of this sometimes to be like, you know, and I'm being very open. I'm really happy where I'm at right now. And I yeah. don't, I don't even take the call, but in hindsight, I should still take the call. Not because I want the role or it excites me, but I'm potentially meeting someone else and I'm expanding my network. Totally. And I think that's the that's the nuance there where it's, you know, you should always be receptive to listening and hearing and meeting and spending time uh, with individuals that maybe you don't need today. But I think both you and I can attest to how difficult this part has been. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, reference it like the sales cycle is, you know, rethinking, okay, I have to put together an online profile. Here's my website. Okay. How do I revamp mm-hmm. my my resume to get through like all the gutter balls? For the hundredth time. Right? right? Exactly. And retooling <laughs> it for every role, um, adding a cover letter. Yeah. Like it's exhausting. It's exhausting time yeah. and very time consuming. So, you know, at the end of the day, we could probably just work differently um, yeah. up front a little bit differently and just build those, those relationships um, earlier on. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyway, it was a really cool conversation. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm really glad we had her on, and um, it, it, and it's it was really like a black box for me, and I I, I agree. I I'm just so I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> it's a question mark, but at least I'm more knowledgeable <laughs> about that, and and from a branding perspective, I think it's on a marketing perspective. I think it's really interesting thinking about marketing's role in supporting say the hr group yeah talent acquisition group and things that we can do to help them out to even add more value than we had talked about before it's great up to this point yeah i think it's a great point just look at all the little tentacles marketing can actually you know have an influence or help with at the very least especially Mm -hmm. if we're stewards of the brand totally totally okay v it's fantastic Great this is great. Yeah, man. Yeah. Super excited. All right. Until next time. NPS. Hey-o. Coming up next, eh? That's right. <laughs> is it? Isn't it? Well, it's soon. Oh, we're recording oh, it. We're soon. recording it soon. Sorry. That's going to be a good one, everyone. Yeah. That one's going to be a good one. Yeah. Okay, dude. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Ciao. Before you go, we'd love a review. If you've got a chance to take a minute or two and leave us a review give us some feedback we'd love to hear from you we really want to make this show better and your feedback will help us do that thank you